today I want to ask a question as we get started. Where do your tears go? Uh, yeah, so today I'm going to talk about tears and four types of tears. Absent tears, tears uh, of hopelessness, uh, fertilizing tears, and promising tears. Those are the types of tears I want to talk about today. And we're using Psalm 126 as our psalm. It's another psalm of lament, as you would have guessed just by the title. Uh, where do your tears go? And so, yeah, we're coming off another week full of tears. We're seeing even more deaths due to systemic and even racial injustice. And we're seeing more deaths due to the global pandemic, COVID-19. This, this brings us to actions, actions of standing up against the injustice. It makes us protest the injustice, uh, as well as uh, be educated uh, and edu help educate others regarding Black Lives Matter. Uh, it also uh, stirs up deep emotions within us, uh, deep emotions of anger, frustration, hopelessness, perhaps doubt, and just deep grief and sadness. And I guess that's why I've been turning to the Psalms during this summer, this season. Uh, the Psalms have helped reveal what's truly going on in our soul. There are, there are deep emotions in the soul that are being stirred. Uh, that's just part of our humanity. And so as we look at the Psalms, it's where we go and we find uh, deep emotions, deep motives of the soul that are there. And when we're in the Psalms, the Psalms don't say, hey, just deny your feelings or deny your tears. The Psalms don't say just to vent your emotions or, hey, just go and vent your tears. Rather, the Psalms invite us to pray our tears. And so as we look at Psalm 126, I'll ask again, where? Where do your tears go? Let's learn from the psalmist here. And as we do so reading Psalm 126, I want us to, to notice how each of these types of tears relate to joy. And I know that sounds quite ironic that we would even say the word joy in the same sentence as tears, but we'll notice how each of these types of tears relate to joy. Let's read Psalm 126. Again, I invite you not only to read this psalm, but read all the Psalms, there are 150 of them, and there's a great systematic way to get through all 150 uh, once a month. You read five of them a day, and it's not a race to see how quickly you can get through them, but it's a way to have your heart and your soul shaped by the Psalms. So at different times of the day, you would pause and pray, and, and so read and reflect on these Psalms. So let's read Psalm 126 together. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. 
Frederick Douglass' famous quote by Frederick Douglass says, A smile or a tear has not nationality. Joy and sorrow speak alike to all nations, and they, above the confusion of tongues, proclaim the brotherhood of mankind. Yeah, all of these emotions are what it means to be human. And so the four types of tears here, and as we see how they relate to joy, let's look at this first one, absent tears. Now, absent tears are uh, probably one of the saddest types of tears that there really are. And so by absent, I mean that we hold those tears in. Yes, when we pray, whenever we think about our relationship to God, we wouldn't dare want to pray uh, prayers of tears. When we think about our relationship with others, we wouldn't dare want someone in the workplace or someone in public to see us cry. And so not weeping is a way, sometimes, it's a way for us to protect our joy. We think there's no way that joy and crying can exist simultaneously. And so I personally have been uh, wrong about this at times, thinking that to have joy, I need to keep my tears as far away as possible. And that's just not true as I'm learning. There's a kind of superficial joy that comes from not dealing with our tears and not dealing with our true emotions. And of course, the psalmist is radically and quite boldly showing us how to truly deal with our emotions and how to truly grow in not only emotional intelligence, but spiritual intelligence. So there's a type of superficial joy that comes from not dealing with the tears. There's just an absence of tears. Maybe you grew up in a culture that taught you that. Maybe you grew up in a family of origin that taught you that. Maybe you've been a part of a church that's taught you that. Maybe your own personality leans itself in that way. But be assured that the Bible does not teach the absence of tears. So I ask, what do you do in a world full of tears? The first point I'm trying to make here is that even If God is in your life, you should expect tears. You should expect tears. See, there's this myth that some Christians have that if I'm a good little girl, if I'm a good little Christian, or if I'm a good little boy, and I'm a good little Christian, God won't let anything bad happen to me. There won't be any suffering. There won't be any tears in this life. And again, that's not true. We should expect tears. Verse 1 through 3 that we just read in our psalm, that there's this return from exile, that God has done something for them. He's done something great for his people, and all the other nations saw it. (laughs) It's like a fulfillment of a dream, more than they ever asked or imagined that God has done something great. And yet in verse 4, The psalmist is asking God to restore their fortunes like streams in a desert. Yeah, a lifeless desert. A desert, that place where you feel pain. That place where there's feelings of hopelessness and injustice, perhaps. Now, we're 
these people going through a famine? We don't really know. Was there a plague? Was there military defeat? We don't exactly know what's going on here. The psalmist, we do know, is not saying words of repentance here. He doesn't say, we turn back to you, O Lord, it's our sin that's made our lives a desert. Rather that sometimes life is truly a desert. Life truly is hard. And so Christians should expect tears not because they haven't had their devotions today or not because they didn't say their prayers today or not because they're not being a good little boy or a good little girl. But Christians should expect tears because that's part of the broken world and the broken system that we live in. In fact, becoming a person of faith may lead you to weep more. Yeah, in fact, you'll cry tears like you've never cried before in becoming a follower of Christ, but your tears will have purpose to them. See, there's this metaphor that describes conversion in the Old Testament, that a heart of stone would be replaced with a heart of flesh. It's in Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel chapter 11. He says, I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. See, what that means for the Christian, what that means in conversion for a Jesus follower is that when the gospel of good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ changes your heart, you have more of a heart. Your heart becomes more of a heart. Your heart becomes more soft. It becomes softened. You're more vulnerable. That means you feel evil in this world, more than you've ever felt it. You feel pain in this world more than you've ever felt it. Whereas perhaps you used to disdain others who cry. Perhaps you would look at others who cry and say, just just get yourself together. You should be absent of tears, you might say to that person with a lot of pride. But see, becoming a Christian isn't the absence of tears. It's having humble tears. Jesus was this perfect human being with a perfect human heart. And the Bible says of Jesus that he he was constantly crying. He was a man of sorrows. He was a man of grief. See, Jesus was walking pretty well with God. And you can't say that nothing bad ever happened to Jesus. Yet he was crying. He had tears. And so if you don't expect tears, you'll be crying not only about the thing that grieves you, but you'll also be crying, why is this even happening to me? I shouldn't be crying. I've been living a good life. I'm doing all the things that God wants me to do. How could this dare happen to me? So you'll, you'll be full of tears because of things that are sad and things that grieve you and the injustice, yet you'll also feel guilty on top of it. You'll begin to sink. And that brings us to our second type of tears, the hopeless tears, hopeless tears, weeping as a way to say that there's no way to have joy. Have you ever felt that way before when you thought about your tears, that there's hopeless tears, it's impossible. 
It's impossible to have any type of hope. In fact, crying or having tears is such a waste of time, someone may think. Now, it's possible to grieve in this way, you know, just to yell and just to dump all of your tears and all of your crying onto another human, such as a friend or, or even a counselor. And, and while that's good and can, and can be right, if, if you're doing a lot of that type of crying, but yet you're not seeing much fruit and harvest and joy come from your crying, if your tears are only getting poured out to your friend and to your counselor, you're truly missing out on a deeper type of hope that God gives you when you pour out your tears on God. Have you ever felt that before when crying? Does anyone even care? Is anyone even listening or give two cents about my tears. See, there's nothing that feels more like an ultimate waste of time is to come through tragic times where you've cried and I've cried. You came through those tragic times, those difficult times, and there's nothing to show for it. And so sometimes that keeps us from truly crying and having tears is that where do these tears belong? Where, where do they go? Was our original question. See, in this psalm, there's this sowing seed metaphor that the sadness and the grief can make you a happier person in the long run if you sow these tears in the right way. And to sow, and to sow the tears does not mean to be absent of tears and it doesn't mean to have hopeless tears. There's another psalm that we should be remembering at this point. Psalm 30, verse 5. Go back and read this psalm. It says, Weeping may tarry through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And see, even though that psalm is very famous, it's been quoted by a lot of people, most of us think that, that God will bring joy after our time of sadness is over. Therefore, we try to hurry up the sadness we try to think that, oh, oh, sadness only lasts for an evening. I'm going to wake up and joy is going to be there. And what we're supposed to learn from Psalm 126 is that joy doesn't come after the sorrow, but joy is produced by the sorrow. And that's what leads us to a fertilizing type tear. Yeah, the third type of tear is a fertilizing tears. This metaphor that, that the sorrows are like seed when sown properly, they bring joy. See, tears don't keep you from experiencing joy, as I'm guilty of thinking. Joy is produced by the tears when the tears are turned towards God in prayer. Weeping is the fertilizer. Those tears turned towards God is fertilizer. Are you praying your tears? Do you see that our role is to simply give God our tears? Cry those tears on God and watch God produce joy. Watch God use it as fertilizer. Sorrow doesn't kill joy if you're praying your tears. Sorrow kills joy if your tears are absent. 
Sorrow kills joy if your tears are hopeless. There's this poetic image of this farmers are going out and watering their seeds with their tears. Wow, a beautiful poetic language that you have to plant your tears, that you come to God with these tears. Verse 4 and verse 5, it says, restore us. That's what a tear, a fertilizing type tear does. Is it says, restore me, O God. Restore us. We need to be restored. It says, restore us as streams. Renew the desert. O God, I'm dry, I'm parched, I'm thirsty. We need to be renewed. We are like this desert. Oh God, we give you our tears. And in exchange, God, you are going to be the one that produces the joy. And so a type of fertilizing prayer is a prayer of repentance. That's right, to be quick to repent is a fertilizing type prayer. Tears that you and I experience in repentance, crying over, having tears over, and genuine tears over, your sin, being broken, truly broken by God about your sin, turning from that sin by God's love for you, by his gentleness and mercy towards you. His kindness leads you to repentance. Psalm 32, David, who's been hiding his sin, his adultery with Bathsheba, So Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 records him confessing his sin. In Psalm 32, he says, Day and night I tried to cover my sin, and my bones were breaking inside of me. But when I confessed and repented of my sin, joy returned to my soul. He says, Rejoice, rejoice, O my soul. Be glad. It's tears. It's fertilizing tears that come out through repentance. Here's here's two attributes of God, by the way, that help us pray fertilizing tears. Number one is to remember God's grace. Remember God's grace. You, You gotta know this even before you start crying. Yeah, even before you and I start crying the next time tears come to us as a human being and we experience that. You gotta know God's a God of grace. You gotta know that God loves you and cares for you. You gotta know that God is a safe place or you won't come to God in your tears. You'll run from God. You'll you'll think you should be absent with your tears. You'll think you shouldn't have tears. You'll feel shameful about your tears. So remember that attribute of God, that God is a God of grace. If not, you'll stuff your tears. You'll hide your tears. And when we see that God is a God of grace, these produce humble tears. Humble tears. Not tears of, of pride. It says things like, I, I don't deserve pain in my life. I, 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 don't, I don't know why I'm having trouble in my life. But rather, there's tears of humility. Those are fertilizing tears. When we remember God's grace, Psalm 16 is one of those where it, it, it's filled with fears, that psalm. Yet finally it ends with assurance that you, O oh God, gives me pleasures forevermore. 
God, you give me pleasures forevermore, even though I'm filled with fears. Psalm 17 is filled with crying. Yet finally it ends with the assurance that, God, I will be satisfied with you, O God. That's where my true satisfaction comes from. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on the Psalms, mentions that the very presence of such prayers, like these laments and like these tears in Scripture, is a witness to God understanding us. God knows how we speak when we're desperate. End quote. See, God knows that we say incorrect and desperate things in our prayers. That's what fertilizing tears are. And that it's safe to pray this way with God and pour out your deepest feelings with God. Now, another attribute that helps you pray fertilizing tears, second attribute here is to remember the tears of Jesus. Now, remember the tears of Jesus that only Only this God claims, only this God in Christianity, no other God makes this claim, only this God in Christianity claims that he came down into this world through the person of Jesus and took on our pain and cries our tears because of the pain, because of the injustice. No other religion says that. Isaiah chapter 53 speaks of this Jesus saying that he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That's in the Old Testament, by the way. And then in the New Testament, John chapter 11, the shortest verse in the Bible, but yet perhaps the most powerful verse in the Bible, two words, and it says, Jesus wept. Yet Jesus has tears. You need to see God as crying. There's there's an attribute that you can't forget when you start crying or when you see others crying. John chapter 17, we see Jesus saying that his soul was crushed to the feeling of death as he's praying about his upcoming death. He's already feeling crushed, praying and sweating drops of blood as he's crying there in that garden of Gethsemane. See, God knows what it's like to feel abandoned. Jesus on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Therefore, Jesus is perfectly understanding when we feel abandoned, when we cry out, when we have these fertilizing tears. God is not rejecting you. God has not abandoned you. So when you cry, think, remember these tears of Jesus so that when you see Jesus suffering, that this causes you to suffer in a new way. That you and I, we we won't suffer or cry in guilt. I won't say, God is punishing me. Rather, I'll say, Jesus, you took my punishment on the cross. I won't suffer or cry in self-pity or in anger. I won't say, how dare God let this happen to me? Rather, I'll see that God suffered more than I did. And God is a substitution through the person of Jesus for my suffering. 
and that I can suffer by his help. I can suffer in patience. See, it's humbling myself and the, and the sorrow creates an ability to depend on God and not my circumstances. That's what fertilizing tears do. So for the Christian that, that if you look to Jesus, this can be true. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That's what a fertilizing tear is all about. And the last type of tear is promising tears. Yeah, the last verse here in Psalm 126, the last verse does not say they might return with songs of joy. And they possibly will, or who knows, but if they do the right thing, they'll have, perhaps, maybe they'll have joy. Rather, there's promising tears. There's a a promise from God regarding these tears. That these tears end in a harvest. These tears that have been beautifully, poetically, been fertilizing the very seeds that have been planted that there's a harvest that's coming. Verses five and six promise that the farmer will plant in tears and the farmer will harvest with shouts of joy. They will sing as they return with the harvest. So why? So why is it so hard to to cry? Why is it so hard to weep? Why, Why is it so hard to have these type tears? When we feel sorrow, our our heart sometimes will say to us, it's never going to get better. It's hopeless. Or or, or just stop crying. Get your act together. You should abstain from from any type of crying. You, You should just get your act together. And with God, there's not only an invitation to cry, but there's a God himself who cries. C.S. Lewis in Grieving. C.S. Lewis writing in A Grief Observed, grieving the loss of his wife, he said, no one told me that grief felt so much like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the, the yawning, I keep on swallowing Where do your your tears go? That's how we began today, asking that. Where do your tears go? Eugene Peterson, in his commentary called Answering God, the Psalms, as tools for prayer. In this commentary, he talks about Psalm 146 through 150. You know, these hallelujah psalms. We looked at one of those last week. These are all praise songs. There's no laments in these hallelujah psalms. And why is that? There's no lamenting in Psalm 146 through Psalm 150. Each of those psalms, those last five psalms in the book of Psalms, start with praise the Lord and they end with praise the Lord. Peterson, in his commentary, says, All true prayers pursued far enough will end in praise. 
And see, it doesn't always get there quickly and that it could take a lifetime to get there. And see, this is a reminder for us regarding the harvest that while the harvest is coming, you can't rush the harvest. You can't rush the harvest. It may take days before you see the harvest, before joy comes. It it may take weeks or months or even decades before this joy comes. But joy is promised. Harvest is this joy that is coming. It's inevitable. It's coming. And if you know how all prayer ends in praise, and if you know how God welcomes your tears and understands your tears, and that God is with you in your tears, you too can be comforted in your tears. And you too can comfort others in their tears. Why don't we pray right now that God would give us and enable us by His grace to be comforted by God and to comfort others. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your tears. Lord Jesus, thank You that You can relate to our tears. Thank You that You can produce joy through our tears that's poured out to you. Help us cry about our sin. Help us cry about injustice. Comfort us, we pray, that we may truly experience joy and that we may comfort others. And we pray all of this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.